This podcast may contain adult language and situations, graphic, gory details, and other not-so-nice things. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Ashley. And I'm Lacey, and this is United States of Murder. This week, we're in Tennessee talking about how a social media feud led to murder. Then, I'll talk about a high school teacher who was killed in her own home. So buckle up and join us on this dark and twisted ride through the volunteer state. When you're on the other side of the keyboard, you can be anyone you want. Pretending to be someone you're not isn't exactly a crime. We all have a friend who met up with someone online who wasn't exactly who they said they were. Maybe they were a few inches shorter than they said, or maybe they looked entirely different. Maybe this has even happened to you. People can also change their personalities. Some even become keyboard warriors. They may act uncharacteristically aggressive or hateful because they feel like they cannot betray this in person. Maybe they're introverted, maybe they're shy, or maybe there's a darkness underneath. One big thing big cities and rural communities have in common is that people can still access the internet. This can open up an entire world to those who are unable to experience all that life has to offer. A separate life can be fashioned online. Some use this life to make new friends, and others use it to lie and catfish. In 2020, scientists surveyed 1,107 adults with an average age of 24.9 years and almost 75% described themselves as a victim of a catfish scam. The case I'm going to tell you about involves online bullying, fake Facebook profiles, and a whole lot of catfishing and deception. All right, so there are some other podcasts that have covered this case, but it's so unusual and I've never heard of it before. So first, let me tell you about a young woman named Janelle Potter who has also been referred to as the girl who never grew up. Janelle was born in 1982 and grew up on the outskirts of Philadelphia. She had an extremely sheltered childhood, and because of this, she didn't have a lot of friends. Her parents, Marvin and Barbara Potter, were a little overprotective, to say the least. They didn't allow Janelle to drive, stay out late, or have boyfriends. So this went on past a normal age. This went on even when she was in her 30s. No, wait. Yeah. I thought you were going to say till she was like 17. No. No. 30s? That's what you think of. Yeah. 30s. So she was on a short leash. Well, in 2004, Janelle moved along with her parents to Mountain City, Tennessee, which is in Johnson County. It's in the upper east corner bordering North Carolina and Virginia. You know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the population was 2,531 at the 2010 census. And fun fact, it's the highest incorporated city in the state of Tennessee, with an elevation of 2,418 feet. Yeah, fun fact. That's the last fun thing here. So (laughs) she's moving from Philadelphia to Mountain City, Tennessee. Mm -mm, She had overprotective parents. She had a very hard time making any friends. And she spent almost all of her time at home with her parents. So she's in her early 30s at this time. She still did not drive. She did not own a car. And she had no job. She did have some health issues, though. 
which will kind of make a little sense on why they were so overprotective. She had type 1 diabetes. Mm-hmm. So with type 1 diabetes, she would need to take insulin shots every day to manage her blood sugar levels. Mm-hmm. Some people nowadays use pumps. Yeah. But at this time, she was, you know, taking shots. And along with this, Janelle was born with an auditory disability. So I didn't read anything that said what exactly this diagnosis was, but it said she had trouble hearing communications. She could speak. And there's interviews and stuff with her. She speaks fine. She kind of has a little girl's voice, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. But some articles said she had issues with speech. So it's kind of unclear exactly the level of the issue. So Janelle's mom, Barbara, had a job with Hewlett Packard before moving to Tennessee. And her father, known as Buddy, was a former Marine who served in Vietnam. So Buddy collected disability due to a past back injury. And once they moved to Tennessee, Barbara quit working. So they were basically just caretakers of Janelle. And she had a sister named Christy, six years older than her, but she was estranged from the entire family and hadn't seen them in around 10 years. Well, they probably pulled this shit on her or tried to. Yeah. And she was like, no. If that tells you something, so Janelle was socially awkward, but not online. Online, she could communicate clearly and express herself however she wanted. So... It's the early 2000s. She starts chatting in chat rooms. I was all about that, too. She loved MySpace. I hear it. And then when Facebook came about, oh, yeah, she was – Oh, boy. She was all about it. And her parents monitored her Facebook. She just has diabetes and – I'm not minimizing that, but she has diabetes and auditory issues. Why do they need to monitor? It's not like she has a heart condition or a – Mental disability. Exactly. From what I read, she did not have, I don't know. So I'm like, why are, Why is a 34-year-old have her parents monitor her? Very, very bizarre. bizarre. Yeah. She's in her 30s. She's not a child. But one day, 34-year-old Janelle went to pick up her meds at the local pharmacy, and she began chatting with the pharmacy clerk named Tracy Greenwell. Tracy had seen Janelle come in several times before. She felt sorry for her. So... Because of this, she befriended her. Mm-hmm. She kind of got the gist, like, oh, she doesn't really know anybody. She's a little yeah. awkward. I'll be nice to her. So luckily for Janelle, this means she gets some freedom from her parents. She was allowed to hang out at Tracy's. It just seems wild. She's a year older than me. Mm-mm. And she's like, has to ask permission. It just so, it seems so bizarre. She would hang out at Tracy's house and sometimes they even went rock climbing. So it was like she was had a so whole she, new yeah. world, yeah. you know? Tracy had a 36-year-old brother named Billy Payne, and Janelle had the hots for him. Billy was known as a jokester who loved the outdoors, but he did have a 23-year-old girlfriend named Billie Jean. So Billy and Billie Jean. Can't. Yes. So together they had a baby boy named Tyler. Billy, Billie Jean, and Tyler all lived together. And Tracy, from what I gather, lived with her parents. Mm-hmm. Billy was off the market, and Tracy was like, hey, I have a cousin. Maybe you'll hit it off. So she introduced Janelle to her cousin, Jamie Curd. They did hit it off, and they started dating. But even though she was 34, she was not allowed to date and had to keep this a secret from her parents. I can't. I know. So Jamie knew Janelle's parents were protective and kept tabs on her, so he bought her a secret cell phone. 
so that they could talk on it without her parents knowing. And they'd talk every single day. So things were kind of looking up for Janelle. She had a boyfriend. She had friends. She was getting to know people until she started being cyberbullied. She began receiving anonymous comments about her being a bad person. And some even said they were going to have her raped. Oh, my. Like, it was extreme. That escalated. It escalated quickly. So Janelle told her mom, and Barbara was really freaked out. Barbara got on Facebook and threatened to call the police if they didn't stop. And these were anonymous people. They didn't know who it was. And she was like, who would be doing this to Janelle? Mm -hmm. She barely knows anybody. So Janelle was like, I think I know who's doing it. She thought it may be Billie Jean Hayworth the woman dating Tracy's brother, Billy. She told her mom that Billie Jean was jealous of her looks and was worried that her boyfriend, Billy, would leave her for Janelle. She also said Billie Jean had been prank calling her and driving past the house to intimidate her. Billie Jean denied being the one behind this and her boyfriend, Billy, defended her. Well, even though Jamie, Janelle's, there's a lot of names, it's confusing. So Jamie was Billy's cousin But he was dating Janelle, so he believed Janelle. He was there to support her. And then because of this, this started a whole family feud. Everyone's unfriending each other on Facebook. It's just, he said, she said, well, during this time, Janelle allegedly told a few people she wished, quote, that Billy, Billie Jean, and that damn baby would die. Not the baby. I know. It's, I don't know why she would say that. So one day... The Potter family found a large rock in their front yard, and the names Billy Payne and Billy Jean Hayworth were written on them. And I'll post a picture. It clearly just shows their names on rocks. They thought they threw the rock in the yard. Why would you write your own name on a rock and throw it at someone's house? Right. The object is to not get caught. Exactly. It's very strange. So Barbara called the police over this, and of course, things got even worse. On January 31st, 2012... Billy Payne and Billy Jean Hayworth were found dead in their home. Both Billy and Billy Jean were shot in the head, and Billy's throat was slashed. Their seven-month-old son, Tyler, was in Billy Jean's arms oh. in the bed when she was murdered, left covered in her blood. He was unharmed, luckily, but he had been spending hours, <sighs> who knows how long, in her yeah, seven-month-old. So, of course, Janelle's the first suspect because of all this drama. Yeah. And police spoke with her the day after the murders. They spoke to her and her parents, and they were like, look, we've been dealing with all this harassment from them, but we didn't have anything to do with it. And Janelle was like, I didn't have anything to do with this murder. And then they found out about her secret relationship with Jamie. And now they're like, okay, well, maybe she has something else to hide if she's hiding this relationship So they interviewed Jamie separately. He failed a polygraph test when they asked him if he knew who killed Billy and Billie Jean. I'm not sure why he was the one to get the polygraph, but they gave it to him. Well, while the police were interviewing Jamie, he asked if the CIA was there. They're like, um, no, why would they be here? This is not, yeah, like that doesn't have anything to do with this. Well, Then he had a breakdown and said he was texting a CIA operative named Chris. And Chris told Jamie that it was his job to protect Janelle at all costs. What? So we're confused. Well, the police were just like, what are you talking about? This makes no sense to me. 
And then Jamie was like, it was me and Janelle's dad, Marvin, that killed Billy and Billie Jean. What? Yes. But he said that they were encouraged by a CIA man named Chris. And the police were just, at this point, befuddled, really. They were just like, what? Hold on. What are you talking about? So they arrested Janelle's dad, Marvin. And then they searched his home and found several weapons. And they also found photos of Billie Jean and her friends in the living room of the Potter house. And while police were there raiding the house, Barbara started ripping the photos while they were there. So she was trying to destroy them before police could take them in, right? So in Marvin's truck, Janelle's dad, they found bags. It was like, it was several big bags of shredded printed emails. Classic, just tiny shredded, you know, papers. Well, they put these together. Who knows how long that took? They pieced it together like a puzzle, and there were thousands of emails from this mysterious CIA officer named Chris. Okay. So here's a gist of what the emails from Chris said. He said that he saw the cyberbullying that his friend Janelle, yes, his friend Janelle had endured, and he was worried about her. So he's like, I'm I'm in the CIA, which are you you're not are supposed you? to tell anybody yeah, you're in the CIA. I don't think people that are in the CIA. Uh, yeah, he's like, I see my friend Janelle getting cyberbullied, and he said, because of this, that's why he contacted her parents and boyfriend and warned them that she was in serious danger. He got so close with Barbara through all these emails that she later said she thought of him as a son. Your eyes. I know. No. Rem- this is a reminder. They've never met in person. They've never spoken on the phone. They've only communicated through emails. Not that you can't build relationships, but it's like you're thinking of him as a son. So somehow Barbara and Marvin began to trust Chris. Chris said he was keeping surveillance on Billy and Billie Jean and that he had discovered they had plans to hurt Janelle very soon. She wrote to Chris, We've had enough, and we want peace, and no one here wants to kill anyone, but we will. This is Janelle's mom, Barbara. Oh, my God. And then- This family's Looney Tunes. (laughs) Chris emails back and basically says, look, I'm in the CIA. I'm going to protect all of you. And then he convinced them they needed to kill them. So that's what they did. You're like, how could this happen? How can people be um Marvin and Jamie broke into their home and murdered them in their own bed. Marvin and Jamie were arrested, but the police were still like, okay, well, who's this mastermind Chris? So they traced the IP address from his emails, and guess what? No one's probably surprised. It turned out to be the same IP address as that of the Potter's home computer. So Chris was in the Potter home. Forensic linguistics noted all of the spelling and grammatical mistakes in the emails, and there's a ton. I'll get into that later, but they were very similar to Janelle's. Janelle was Chris the entire time. What? Yeah. So police also arrested Janelle and Barbara. So Jamie took a plea deal of 25 years in exchange for a testimony against the Potter family, And he has since apologized for the murders. Mm -hmm. That's the only apology that comes. So in 2015, three years after the murders, the court sentenced Janelle and her mom Barbara to two life terms in prison for the first-degree murders of Billy Payne and Billie Jean Hayworth. 
they had so much evidence in all the emails that they were able to convict them. Well, Janelle's defense tried to argue she wasn't capable of something so sophisticated and that she wasn't guilty for having an overprotective father. So they're basically trying to say, oh, well, she wasn't smart enough. Right. She still, to this day, claims she's innocent and that she wasn't Chris. So she's still acting like she doesn't know anything. Well, Janelle and Barbara are currently serving two consecutive life sentences at the Tennessee Prison for Women and will be eligible for parole in 2072. Marvin is serving his two life sentences at Whiteville Correctional Facility and will be eligible for parole in 2,132. It's hard to even think of years like that. I'm like, (laughs) what is that number? 2,132. Anyway, during the investigation, they were able to find out where Janelle got the inspiration for Chris. She went to high school with a Chris from Delaware who was a police officer. They talked to him and he's like, I barely remember her, but she was a weirdo. I'm paraphrasing, but he, she was obsessed with him. So she kind of has a habit for becoming very obsessed with people. So she gathered photos of him online, of everything, like his dog, his family, everything, and made a fake Facebook profile of him. Oh. And that's what she used to catfish her parents. Oh my God. So yeah, she catfished her parents. She's smarter than they think. Yeah. I I wouldn't think of to do that. She's sneaky. And I read verbatim some of these emails between the family and Chris. And I do have to say, I have no idea how Janelle's parents did not know right away that she was Chris because, okay, Chris is some hotshot CIA guy and his emails are filled with misspellings, grammatical issues, like very specific grammatical issues. And she didn't have word. <laughs> they could they correct by that the way, shit. No, by the way she typed, everything was uncapitalized. Nothing was it didn't look like they used word. So I'm not sure what Right. It was just anyway, so one thing I particularly noticed between the stuff Janelle typed and Chris, quote unquote Chris. They always had an apostrophe in the word knows. Like, she knows something, but there was always an apostrophe S. It's weird. That's very specific. Yeah, that I've is I've never very, even seen that in my life. That's and very then, specific. But they both do that? No. And that's – and let's see. And I know it's hindsight, so it's easy for me to say these are weird, but I don't know. And I is rarely ever capitalized – People is always abbreviated as PPL. Not that uncommon, but just something I noticed. Yours are always wrong, as in like no. the wrong your that is used all the time. Insane. The writing style is similar in that it's rambling, random periods in the word structure. It just seems like the same person's writing these emails. And in one of Chris's emails, he says, quote, you can get away with it. She needs to be killed and Billy I don't care if I killed that baby and her because she going to make it into her. Who wants that shit fucking assholes and whores? Makes me sick. Okay, what CIA IA agent talks like that? You know what I mean? Uh-uh. It's a, no. And also, you don't care if the baby's killed. And a lot of the words like makes me, to make, and up some are all together like it's one word. That would hurt my brain trying to read it. It did. And- Maybe she typed fast, or maybe the space bar was finicky. I don't even know, but they're odd similarities. You don't see multiple people typing that way. And I read Barbara's emails, and she had much better spelling and grammar 
And I'm like, wouldn't Barbara be like, okay, this guy, he's a CIA agent and he can barely, I don't know. That, no. I got most of my information from a Medium article by Nikki Young. There's a book about this case called Too Pretty to Live, The Catfishing Murders of East Tennessee by Dennis Brooks. I read court documents and then an ABC News article. That's... It's a weird one. Like I said, I hadn't heard of it, but... And there's a 2020 episode. I didn't watch it. I might try to find it and link it up in this. But yeah, that's my case. I just... I'm so confused. I know. You hear about these, like, completely senseless murders... And it really makes you go, oh, my God, who have I come into contact with that's, like, secretly a psychopath? You know? Yeah. Billy Jean and Billy Payne did nothing, nothing ever. Nothing ever. And they were murdered. <sighs> I need a break. My brain hurts. I do, too. Let's let's grab a drink. All right. So let's see what your case is about. Ashley Pittman was born November 4th, 1978 in Louisiana. To mom Donna and stepdad Jimmy. Donna was pregnant with Ashley when the two had met, but he didn't care. He loved Donna and he adopted Ashley right after she was born. He was her daddy and I cannot love that enough. Like he did not know this baby. Mm -hmm. It was not his, but he just took, just swooped in and took over. Jimmy had a five-year-old daughter named Keisha from a previous relationship that lived with them too. So now we've got mm-hmm. the two little girls. Jimmy worked for a railroad and Donna was a stay-at-home mom. Ashley had lots of friends. She was very spunky, you know, all the things, all the all-American girl. In the fall of 1990, Donna comes home and tells the family she's leaving. It was Ashley's 12th birthday. Mm. I cannot imagine how awful that must have felt for her. That's her fucking birthday. Her 12th birthday. And her mother comes home and is like, I'm done. I'm packing and I'm moving and I'm leaving. And she just left. What? I know. It's awful. It's strange when you hear about that happening. It is. And I don't want to sound like stereotypical, you know, typical, but it's like you – you hear that a lot with, like, dads, mm-hmm. but not moms. Yeah. And there's something about it that seems worse, even though it's uh, equally right. bad, but you're, it's just, yeah. yeah. Right. So Donna remarries and moves to Kansas, and Ashley visits occasionally, and they speak on the phone, but she stays with her dad. She gets good grades, joins the cheerleading squad, and is thriving. Her and her friends are very active in the First Baptist Church in Bossier City, youth program, and they all take a vow to stay pure until marriage. Just paint you a picture. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is how she is. This is the type of girl she is. In the fall of 96, Ashley attends Washita Baptist University in Arkadelphia. I was about, I'm like, wait, yeah. I thought we were in Tennessee. With her best friend, Lori. Okay. They're bebopping around. They're bebopping. They're Louisiana. Now they're in Arkansas. It was here she met Jeffrey Scott, a business major they met through mutual friends, came from an upper middle class family, and Ashley was really struck by this. They (laughs) seemed to have it all. I mean, they had, his parents were still married, his mom adored him, she was, you know, still in the house. Yeah. Yeah. She took care of everyone and everything, dad owned a company, they had money, it just seemed perfect. Yeah. And they adored her and like wanted her to 
be a part of their family. Mm-hmm. So in 1999, Ashley spent Christmas with him and his family, and her family couldn't get a hold of her, which was super unusual. Her dad would call and ask to speak with her, and they would tell him that she wasn't there. Oh, no. Finally, Ashley called her dad back and told him, they don't want you calling here anymore. Wait, it was her that said that? She told her dad. Okay. So when he was calling, he was talking to her Mm, boyfriend all at the, the red times, flags like no give me family mm. and they would be like well she's not here she's not here and then finally she called him back and was like they don't want you calling here anymore uh-uh. i know this went on for the entire last semester of college in june of 2000 ashley sent her sister keisha a letter telling her she wouldn't communicate with them anymore why and they needed to respect her wishes She says, um, I hate stuff like this. They really don't know her and she needs to start a new life and she's going to do that with Jeff. Uh Uh-uh. And later that year, the two became engaged. I hate when people isolate. So Jeff and Ashley were married in June of 2001 and moved to Cordova, Tennessee, a suburb of Memphis. She had moved here, started a whole new life. Her family was not invited to the wedding, which breaks my heart that this man who adopted her the second she was born was there for her when her mother ran off and left her. And no, there was fa- no bad blood between None. her and her father no. or her sister? No. Mm-mm. This man adored her, raised her on his own. No. That's not his blood child, but it's his child. Yeah. And he didn't even walk her down the aisle. He wasn't even allowed to come to her wedding. That's messed up. It's very, very messed up. Her close friends did come to the wedding, but they said they didn't know anybody there. That they were clearly in Jeff's world. Yeah, I'd say. So Jeff goes to work for his father at his company, and Ashley goes to work as a high school English teacher. And her students love her. She's fun. She's young. She's beautiful. She's... Got a bubbly personality. So in 2006, it was Ashley's 10-year high school reunion, and she goes back home, sees her friends. Mm. They all said she was happy, but Jeff called her constantly. I'm shocked he didn't go with her. He would ask her what she was wearing, who she was talking to, are you drinking, who are you with, just bugging the shit out Mm -hmm. of her. And it was clear to everyone that he was super irritated that she even went. So afterwards, she gets home and does not speak to any of her friends for several weeks. Jeff calls Ashley's friend Lori, the girl that she had went to college with, her best friend, one night and tells her that Ashley is drinking a a lot. She's passing out. She's waking up with bruises, falling down. She's in a very self-destructive state and he's worried about her. He also tells her that Ashley had got a DWI in August of that year and he was he just had concerns. Okay, he's calling her friend. Yeah. Did, mm, yeah. No, yeah. that's Lori says this doesn't sound like Ashley. This doesn't sound like her at all. So she kept trying to reach out to Ashley and call her after this phone call and never never talk to her. Was never she would never answer her phone. She would never call her back. Finally Ashley called her back on Thanksgiving Day, but Lori had missed it because she was, you know, with her family. Ashley didn't leave a message. She tried to call Mm. her back and she didn't answer. That's suspicious. Jeff places a call to 911 
on the afternoon of Thanksgiving. He reports that Ashley is bleeding from her neck and is not breathing. He doesn't know what happened, but says she's been like this all morning. Wait, Wait what? she's been bleeding from her yes, neck all and morning? unconscious. He tells him, hurry up. Who bleeds from here. their neck all morning? And is unconscious all morning. Oh, God. The 911 operator hears a guy named Roger McGee say, she's dead. So Roger is one of Jeff's friends who is also a physician, and Jeff had called him to come over and check on her. He got there around 3.30 that afternoon, and he told Jeff as soon as he saw her, call 911 immediately. So he calls his friend that's a physician Who's before an he hour calls away. Nine, um, nope. I would get it if she was feeling sick and still responsive, yeah. but if she's no. unconscious, dude, yeah. no. No. So the line goes dead. He hangs up on 911 after Jeff. Never good. After Roger says that she's dead. No. So the call is still recording. Of course. And you can hear the operators talking to one another about how strange this call Uh, is. The EMS did show up about five minutes after the phone call was placed. They find Ashley upstairs in the bedroom and Roger is performing CPR on her. There's blood coming out of her ears, her nose, and vomit and blood coming out of her mouth. She is bruised. Her lips are swollen and split open. She's alive at this point, but barely. She's a very faint pulse. They leave with her to go to the hospital, and she is pronounced dead at 7.52 that night. Officers who arrived at the scene question Jeff. He says she was drunk and he struck her and she fell. He had no previous criminal background at all. He claimed that they had gotten into a fight over a phone call or text she had received and things escalated and then became physical. (sighs) After he hit her and knocked her down, she became unconscious and he carried her to the garage and left her on the garage floor what overnight overnight in november so she's obviously still alive because she lived oh my mm. the next morning he went back to the garage to check on her and she was still unconscious so he dragged her inside and placed her by the fireplace after a while He carried her upstairs to the bedroom and put her in the bed. She's unconscious this whole time. Why did he ever put her in the garage? Why did you not call 911 when y'all got in the fight? Oh, my Lord. So she's still bleeding and completely out cold. A little bit after he takes her upstairs is when he decides to call his friend who's the doctor. An autopsy would tell a very different story like they always do. I was about to say, he better know they're going to do a tox. Jeff was lying. Ashley had bruises from the top of her head to the tops of her feet, (gasps) a fractured skull, subdural hematoma, brain swelling so bad that it had forced her brain stem down into her spinal column and multiple shoe prints on her torso. This woman had been beaten and stomped on her torso. He had stomped her head, neck, torso. She had old injuries, pattern injuries. Of course. And I bet he didn't have a scratch on him. No. This was clearly a very abusive relationship and had been. Jeff was arrested at the scene and taken to the police department. His hands and body were photographed. 
zero injuries. Of course. He is charged with aggravated assault, but then it is upgraded to murder when she passed away later that Mm -hmm. evening. Her friend Lori is contacted and she tells the cops that one night Ashley had called her from the closet where she was hiding from Jeff. She said he was mad as hell and she was scared. She had found out that he had prostitutes in their house when she was gone to the reunion and she found out about an affair with a woman named Blair Brown, a co-worker of his that Ashley had been friends with. So the affair had ended and she and Ashley were friends at this time. So she found out about it after the fact. Oh gosh. Blair would testify in court that she had witnessed Jeff being abusive towards Ashley. That one night Ashley was at her house and he showed up and kicked her door in and snatched Ashley out of the house. The day before Ashley died, she had met with her attorney. She was, she had the filing fee and wanted to get all of this started. She had brought with her photos of the bruising and abuse caused by Jeff and told her attorney that he had dragged her by her hair through the house and this had been happening for years. I hate this so much. She advised Ashley not to go home, but Ashley did. She was packing her things and loading them in the trunk when he pulled into the driveway. And this sent him over the edge. Well, yeah, that's usually when... I mean, the fight started in the living room by the fireplace, then escalated throughout the other rooms. There is evidence in every single room in this house. She was literally running and trying to get away from him. And when she would fall, he would stomp her like she was nothing to him. Mm. She had been unconscious for approximately 15 hours before he called anyone (sighs) for help. And it had taken his friend over an hour just to get there. And as soon as he walked in, that's when he told him, you've got to call 911. Three years after Ashley's death, Jeff was convicted of second-degree murder. For him to be charged with first-degree murder in the state of Tennessee, all 12 jurors had to agree. And in this case, there was one who did not. So he was sentenced to 25 years without parole. So he is in the Bledsoe County Correctional Complex in Pikeville, Tennessee, and is scheduled for release in April of 2030. That's it? Yeah. Oh, my. He brainwashed this girl. I hate that. Isolated her from her family, abused her, and then beat her to death. She was 27 years old. I know. I hate this so bad. (sighs) And there are... There's a couple different podcasts about this. I mean, literally like two, and I can't think of them off the top of my head, but there's also an American monster on ID that covered this case. I like that show because it uses a lot of footage and found footage and stuff, so you kind of feel like you know them more Mm -hmm. and everything, so I'm going to have to... Yeah, there's so I'm much... i have to watch it. I used to watch that show all the time, and maybe I've even... Some parts sound familiar, but I... I don't know for sure. There's a lot of video footage of like her and her little girlfriends when they were like in high school and college pictures and her dad and her sister talking about how like we loved her. And And what do you do when your child is like, you know what I mean? Right. You can't, it's not illegal for that to happen. Even though you know this is a red flag. Right. They're controlling. I hate that so much. Yeah, that's very sad. Well, since we were already talking about 
Memphis-ish mm-hmm. adjacent mm-hmm. and a teacher. So I'm sure everyone's heard about Eliza Fletcher and everything that you've, you know, the the kindergarten teacher in Memphis that mm-hmm. had went missing. So I'm just going to tell you a little bit about her case. Eliza Fletcher was 34 years old when she was kidnapped by force on Friday, September the 2nd, while out for her 4 a.m. jog. Eliza was an avid runner and had qualified for the Boston Marathon. That's hard to do. Uh, Like majorly hard to do. So that's impressive. She had run from her home in the affluent Central Gardens neighborhood to an area by the University of Memphis. So this is like the Midtown area, like over by where we went to see the concert. Yeah. Yeah. So Eliza is the granddaughter of late Memphis billionaire Joe Orgle III a hardware businessman and philanthropist, as in $3.4 billion in revenue last year alone. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't know that part of it. 38-year-old Cleotha Abston was lying in wait in a black GMC terrain. He had been stalking the area for the past 24 minutes, according to CCTV footage. He waited for her to run past his vehicle, then exited charging towards her aggressively. He then forced her into the back of the SUV. She fought back. A struggle ensued. There was noticeable damage to the taillight area where she was kicking. Her cell phone and water bottle were dropped and Cleotha's shoes, a pair of champion slides, are left at the scene and they drive away. The vehicle then pulls into a parking lot where it sits for roughly four minutes before driving away again. And this is around 4.20 in the morning. So at 6.45, a man riding his bike finds Eliza's cell phone and the sandals lying in the street where she was taken. He doesn't know what has happened, obviously. So he turns them over to a member of Eliza's family. I'm guessing the phone wasn't locked and he could see whose phone it was. Maybe he knew who they were. Anyways, so at this point, her husband knows she's missing. Eliza hasn't returned home. And at 745, he calls the police and reports that she didn't come home from her run. They also get the cell phone from the University of Memphis. The slides are turned over to the police and sent for DNA testing. And they match Cleotha. And he is named a person of interest. Cleotha was charged at the age of 16 with aggravated kidnapping of attorney Kemper Durand in 2000 and served 20 years. 20 years at from the age of 16. He forced the attorney into the trunk of his own car at gunpoint, then forced him to withdraw cash out of various ATMs. And at one of these stops, he was able to alert security guards and get away. During his impact statement, he said, I quite likely would have been killed if I wouldn't have been able to get away. So even at 16, Cleotha already had several things on his juvenile record. That's terrifying. Including rape. Yeah, that's. mm. So he was released released from prison in November of 2020. So he hadn't been out that long. Jeez. Literally has not been out that long. (sighs) Statements taken from Cleotha's employer, which was a cleaning company, confirmed the vehicle in question matched one that belonged to a woman who stayed with him 
and gave them the address, and it matched the vehicle on the surveillance videos. They were able to obtain these CCTV videos from a movie theater on North Germantown Parkway that allegedly showed Cleotha wearing the same slides the day before the abduction. So now they have mm-hmm. that. He's busted. with Yeah. Cell phone records of his also place him in the area at the time. Mm. Investigators also went to Eliza's home to speak with her husband. They were seen removing possible evidence, which included a white Jeep Grand Wagoneer, a computer, and a pair of gardening shears. And I haven't heard anything on that since then. Now, this is a very very new case, so there's updates that are... Surely will be coming out soon, but I haven't heard anything else about that. So on Saturday, September the 3rd, the GMC terrain was located by U.S. Marshals in a parking lot where Cleotha lives. They spot him. He attempts to run, but is caught, taken into custody as a person of interest, and is charged with especially aggravated kidnapping and tampering with evidence, which is unrelated to her case identity theft, and fraudulent use of credit cards. He declined to tell the investigators anything. Police were told by an eyewitness that he had been acting super odd and cleaned the carpets of the vehicle and washed his clothes in the sink and they appeared to be covered with something. Neighbors would, you know, obviously come forward and say, he's a pervert and a creep. Some said that he had solicited them for sex, and even one of his uncles came forward and said, I 100% think my nephew had something to do with her abduction. Wow. He said the whole- I'm glad this they're is a being quote. honest. This is a quote from his uncle. The whole fucking family is wacky. Oh, my God. So, mine too. So, take that with a grain of salt. <laughs> so, police are searching all throughout Memphis- Trying to find her, Eliza's family has put up a $50,000 reward for any information to her whereabouts. The young mother was unfortunately found deceased Monday night around 5 p.m., three days after she was taken. Her body was located in South Memphis near Victor Street and Person Avenue, seven miles from where she was abducted. This is walking distance from the apartments where Cleotha's brother lives. Eyewitnesses say he had been there. They had seen him around. Law enforcement from various agencies were canvassing this area after noticing tire tracks in the tall grass and the odor of decay. Mm. As they walked, they saw an unresponsive woman in the grass, and she fit the description of Eliza. They began searching the area and found a trash bag about 100 feet away, and it contained the purple running shorts that she had been wearing the time of her abduction. Oh, gosh. Something about that. Like, the yeah. Just. Cleotha's brother Mario was also arrested on unrelated charges of drug and weapon possession. Cleotha is additionally being charged with first-degree murder and first-degree murder in preparation of kidnapping. It is possible that there will be other charges or other people charged, but as of right now, he's the only one. 
It's too early for the cause of death, so we don't have that yet. But they know there was an intense struggle and she was kidnapped, according to the evidence found inside the vehicle. His bond is set at $510,000. He said he could not afford bail or an attorney and was appointed a public defender. He was set to be arraigned on murder charges on Wednesday, September 7th. And according to the DA, there is no reason to think that this was anything other than an isolated attack mm. by a stranger. So, I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. I, you know, I climb on up the speculation station. Yeah. But it just seems a little bit fishy to me. Yeah. That that's just an isolated Yeah, thing. well, it's like the other girl that was running and right. was abducted. Here in and, Arkansas. Yeah, and turned out. He did know who she was mm-hmm. and was mm-hmm. kind of obsessed with her and s- right. stuff like that. It's- so there is a little update, not okay. about not about the, her case in particular, right. but about Cleotha. He has been indicted on rape charges in a separate case from 2021. Mm-hmm. He is charged with aggravated rape, kidnapping, and unlawful possession of a weapon in a case from September of 2021 after DNA linked him to it. He was linked to it after Fletcher's kidnapping and the DNA found at the scene of her abduction matched DNA that was Mm. entered into CODIS. During this investigation of the Eliza Fletcher abduction, the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation was made aware by the Memphis Police Department of a sexual assault kit Submitted that might be linked to an unrelated case that was still open. This rape kit was submitted on September 23rd of 2021 and was put in the queue of unknown assailants. No request for it to be expedited and no suspect information was included. Mm. So it was backlogged. Mm-hmm. All that to say it was backlogged. Ugh. The Tennessee Bureau of Investigation rushes DNA cases when requested by local investigative agencies like they did with Eliza Fletcher. A forensic scientist put the DNA in CODIS, which returned the match on September the 5th. So the processing of these kits usually takes about 33 weeks. Jeez. I know. That's a long time. Shelby County alone, which is Memphis, submitted 316 sexual assault requests to the TBI crime lab. The most in the state of Tennessee. Yes. So now he's being charged with this crime too. So anyways. Scary dude. Rough. Rough. I didn't know all those updates. Thanks for sharing that. And I'm sure there'll be much more. Oh, yeah. There always is. Especially when it's super early. It hasn't even been a month. No, no. So anyways, I didn't want to wait till next. Yeah, exactly. Well, maybe next time we cover it, there'll be updates. Or if there is an update, we'll we'll definitely update you guys. Yeah, true. So what else you got for us? We have some new patrons. Yay! We have, and I'm showing Ashley our map. We They're all updated. All our pins are in here. Oh, nice. So we have a... Interesting. It's very much southeastern, but we... It really is. (laughs) But we have... Come on, Idaho. Yeah. I I, love your potatoes so much. uh, We are a big potato. (laughs) We love you. We love a carb. We do. We have Carrie V from Illinois. Oh, hey, Carrie. Yes, thank you, Carrie. 
and Jen K. from Oregon. Awesome. Thank you, Jen. Yeah, thank and you. She, you're up there. So, yeah, that's awesome. Very cool. Thanks, Two guys. states that we don't have m- many pins in, so that's cool. We'll try not to disappoint you. <laughs> we, I, we hope you like – yeah, go check out our backlog yeah, of Patreon we episodes. We hope you like our nonsensical ramblings on the <laughs> Patreon that we tend to do and my potty mouth. I haven't got any hate mail yet. Oh, So, also, our patron, Rocio – sent us a message and said, in regard to the South Carolina episode, her granddad was in the same jail as Donald Peewee Gaskins from <gasps> South Carolina. Isn't that freaky? The next Ew. cell. And he had killed cellmates and stuff. So oh my. I'm glad that that, ugh. I mentioned that how do people find out how to, you know, make bombs before the internet? Well, people told us. <laughs> So we got a couple messages, and one person said that. Do not repeat how to make a bomb on that. I'm not. On this. No, okay, no. Good. <laughs> but they're like, as far as people knew how to make pipe bombs, I read the Anarchist Cookbook when I was 12. Oh, my there's God. lots of how tos in there, uh-uh. and there's a chapter on pipe bombs. And this person said we made several until we got in trouble, and this was in the 80s. Yeah, and another person was like, "Oh, well, you knew it from the anarchist cook." I'm like, "What? I never heard of this. Maybe it's because I don't want to be sexist. Maybe it's because we're girls and we didn't read that." No, no, no. A female. It's a male and a female. Oh, uh, my apologies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And someone said the same person. I told y'all about the catfish plantation. Well, in Hot Springs, Arkansas, y'all stomping grounds. (laughs) That is true. Their wife and them stayed at the. Arlington Hotel, uh-huh. which we know all about that. Sure. And they said that's haunted too, creepy vibes, crazy carpet, and mad spirits. I've stayed there before and didn't I didn't know it was haunted, but also I didn't have any experiences, but they were like there were she- crying sheep noises. Oh, that's horrible. And sheep three are scary. And phone calls and knocking and stuff. I never had anything scary happen. Do you know they have a ghost tour in Hot Springs? Oh, I, I that doesn't surprise me. But that takes you like hmm. down underground through the tunnels that like the gangsters used oh, to use. Oh, yeah, that's that's a thing there. I forget about that. We yeah. should totally do that. Would that would be fun to do. We should do that. That would be fun. Yeah. I was telling Lacey because I go to Hot Springs quite often and I was down there last weekend. And so I was looking up. There's a place called Hell's Half Acre. In Hot Springs. And so I was oh, telling Lacey, yeah. I looked it up. We should do this. And then when I was reading, I was like, no, we're not doing this. And I'm like, why? <laughs> I was thinking it was too scary. You're like, there's a lot of hiking. It's like you're hiking way down and it looks very it like treacherous. like in a holler? It is. That's something Samuel would do. It's down in a but holler. But not for haunted stuff, just for activity, fun I mean, if you fell and, like, broke your foot. Oh, no. I'm clumsy at baseline. And I left. I would have to leave you in Hell's Half Acre to go try to find help. And then somebody would get you, and it'd be a whole thing. Hell's Half Acre. That just sounds foreboding. Yeah. And I read several different things about it in, like, one article. It says, that's supposedly why the springs are hot. Mm. That's what heats the water. Who's to say? I don't want to find out. That's interesting. So... We'll never know. If you've been there, let us know. Yeah. Let us know if you heard cheap as well. Oh, 
fucking sheep. <laughs> sheep and goats. They're so – I don't know why oh, they're so I scary. I love goats. Don't like, think they're, they're so cute. cute. No, I don't think they're cute Oh, my gosh. Fun. You don't think goats are no, cute? No. I would all. love to have a goat. And I've That's heard the they're easier to take care of than a dog. You can get and I believe little, it. You can get one of those little mini billy goats. That's what I like. I've heard they're easier to take care of than a dog, but a little more difficult than a cat. And I'm like, maybe instead of fostering dogs, I need to start fostering goats. Can you do that? No. And they would shit everywhere. Outside, they'd eat my weeds. That'd be great. And they'd be in your pool. That's fine. They you can do what they goat want. turds floating around. They don't poop in the pool, maybe. I don't know. We have some friends that I question if they would poop in your pool. <laughs> Probably the same ones I question. <laughs> Probably the same one that didn't want to be someone spit in their mouth. <laughs> Anyways, what else is going on? Uh, well, we're headed to New York yes. next week. And we're going to bring Wacky Wednesday to you this coming week. This is We're true. releasing it. This Ashley had this idea. We're going to see how it goes. It's just like a bonus. Just a bonus. Just a bonus. We're not going to stop doing the yeah, ones it's on Monday. It's just something Monday. extra f- for extra you guys that's not as- It'll be fun. Blood and trigger warnings. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just going to be no light. No one's dying. There's no- No. It's good. It'll be good. Yeah. And um, let's see. What else? It's the start of spooky season. It is. It's I need still to 100 up, fucking degrees here. Well, it's- No, right now it's 79, which it's is our fall, basically. still feels like it's 100. I made for this drink- you suggested mm-hmm. it, a, I say it wrong every time, a Tennessee. No, it's just a walk me down. Stop <laughs> overthinking it. <laughs> I've called it like a Texas walk She's me through. She's called it everything. Hoe down, jabo down. I don't even know. Blue Lagoon. It's, no, but it was good. I've never so heard of good. it before. It's common on Beale Street. Oh, yeah. Does it ever come frozen? Yeah, you can get it frozen. Oh, mm-hmm. I was thinking it would be good frozen. I'll post the recipe. It's good. It's it's kind of like a Long Island. But, but blue. Blue. Yeah. No Coke. It's good. Yeah, it's good. But they'll sneak up on you. Yeah, I we only had one, but I believe that they would it's, sneak up. It's delicious. Everyone who knows me and has ever been to Memphis with me, I have forced these down them, and they've all loved them <laughs> and drank many. And everyone that knows me is laughing right now, and they're like, that fucking blue drink I'm that just she made me drink. Like it because it's well, full disclosure. It? Is it just? Well, let me tell you, I started drinking them when I was like fourteen. <laughs> it's nostalgia. Is it like it's the nostalgia? Yeah, you're like, yeah. It's the nostalgia when I would. I loved it. I tasted it and I'm like, oh, this is amazing. Of course. Fake ID downtown. I was like, oh, how fun is this drink? And now here I am, 40 something. Like, this is, this is good. I drink them every time I go. Mm. I look like a tourist. Well, you know, sometimes. Oh, well. Tourists are doing it because they know it's good. Exactly. It is what it is. If they broke, don't fix it. And you're, you, did you finish Dahmer? I watched. The entire thing. Okay, so you're done. I only it's, have seen the first episode, so. It's rough. It's dark. That's why I've only seen the first episode. I watched it when it first came out, and I still haven't watched another episode. I've seen episode. a million. I mean, there are so many movies on Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah. Or podcasts, or books, or miniseries. Mm-hmm. There's all the things. This one, this one fucked me up. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. It was, I would have to stop it and, like, take a break. And watch something else. Put on some Golden Girls. It is dark. It's not a, I don't think, a binge show. It's not a binger. It's not for, there's a lot of trigger warnings. Yeah. I'm sure that the families of these victims yeah. were completely re-traumatized. Even the, in the first episode, the silences 
Right, they can't. I would say, I'm not trying to spoil, but everyone knows what happens. But when they're just sitting there and just that tension and you know, because you know the story. Yeah. Just that was just, ugh. It's awful. Yeah. It it's dark. so awful. It's good. I hate to say it's good. It was done well. It was well done, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Well done. In a way where you're. You really feel like these and I hate to say these were real people because, of course, every victim of every crime is a real person. But you're seeing them act it out. So you know yes. what I mean? You're getting a – instead of just seeing documentaries of Dahmer talking about people, you're, you're getting some type yes. of visualization visualization of someone beside him. It's and like just, you're actually seeing it yeah, happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard to explain. That's how I felt when I was watching it's the hard first episode. I felt like – it's, it's yeah. So, but that's my uh, Freaky Friday this week. Yeah. It's going to be about uh, my my hot take on it. Yeah, I'll have to find something interesting to watch in the meantime. You, maybe you should watch the new Hocus Pocus. It comes out oh, this yeah, Friday. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I watched They Them the other night on Peacock. A little. They what? Them, the scary movie with Kevin Bacon. Oh, yeah. I liked it, but a little cheese, a little uh, heavy-handed on the themes. You know what I mean? A I'm little like, overacted. I'm going to, yes, like. I'm going to dress like a girl. And then, like, I'm um, going to be whoever I want to yeah. be. And I'm like, and oh, how, what Did you almost, like, roll your eyeballs out of your head when the pink song came on and they did, like, the little yes, music number? it was I'm a like, little bit heavy-handed. A little like, campy. Yeah, where I'm like. Okay, yeah. come on. This is very. This would never happen. This would not happen. No. Or it's just overacted. Overacted yes. would be a good way. I'm like, a lot of eye rolling where I'm like, oh, come on. This isn't. <laughs> it's not bad. Oh, and speaking of that, I watched. What's it? The Devil's. The one that you suggested. Yeah, what do you think about it? <sighs> Slow in the beginning. Slow in the beginning. Love the soundtrack. I like that it's very. Um, throwbacky. Throwbacky. Yeah. And even like the way it was shot, yeah, I it liked looked that. like it was a very old. You movie. felt like you were watching a movie from the seventies or eighties, which yeah. I dig. I like that. that. Slasher yeah, I like stuff. that. But yeah, then once it like takes off and she's at the house and all the things start happening, I'm like, yeah, what? And then it got super bloody and gory, mm-hmm. which whatever, mm-hmm. not, no big deal, not a big thing. Yeah. So I, thought I was it was worth I went watching, through all the emotions. But, yeah. I was like. This is really good. Lacey undersold this. And then some stupid shit happened. I was yeah. like, no, there it is. <laughs> yeah. You, it's a movie you can't overthink. No, Don't You can't, you can't be – the plot is not impressive. No, no. But it's just it's, – It's a fun. It's a good watch. It's a fun, good watch. It's not like – it's not smart by I'm any doing means. laundry. Yeah, that's exactly – I was typing my notes. Yeah. It was on in the background. Yeah. I wasn't like holding a blanket over my head. Right, right. It was kind of – Doing laundry, doing mm-hmm. all the things. I could go and make me a drink and come back. I didn't miss shit. Yeah. It was good fun to watch. Don't worry about it. It's the- one that like I, like if you're having a Halloween party, put it Have on the it, TV. Yeah, exactly. Have a plan. You don't need sound. Because I started thinking about the plot. I'm like, okay, there were plot holes. And then I'm like, I can't think about no. that because it's they not weren't, made to be smart. They weren't trying to win any awards. It's just a babysitter or something yeah. spooky's going on. It's yeah. fun. And yeah, yeah, I agree. But I will tell you when her friend got killed. Yeah. I, I, that, that surprised screamed, me. I screamed out. It happened very suddenly. Very quick and suddenly. And I, I didn't think that was going to happen like that. And I'm hanging spider webs in my living room while it's going on. And I was like, what the? F-? And Max, because I told Max, like, you can't watch this. So mm-hmm. he was in his room and I. Someone's slamming the like, bass downstairs. I don't know. 
But I told Max, when I screamed, he's like, what? I was like, don't come in here. You can't watch this. I was like, nothing. It just, like, startled me a little bit. That rando that just came out of nowhere. I'm like, who are you, sir? You weirdo. First of all. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, so, spooky season. Mm -hmm. I'm excited. We've got Wacky Wednesday this week. We're excited about that. Try something new and fun. Big debut. And um, we're trying to decide what to do our Patreon over. Yeah. Give us some suggestions. Yeah, I'll ask in the Patreon group. And if you want to help us without paying anything, that's cool. Leave us a review on Apple. We appreciate it. It helps us in the algorithm. How many are we? I don't I don't know. I'm gonna look. We love a review. We do. Three thirty. Three thirty. Oh god. If we can get Oh no. Nope. No promises. <laughs> immediately <laughs> like immediately. No, immediately this. no. Immediately no. What are you <laughs> What promises? <laughs> Now I'm thinking of a fun. We could we'll we could do a fun. Forever. We could do a fun. Well, we already love them forever, but we could do a fun giveaway. Yeah. You know what we need to do? We need to because we played that game. Oh, Hunt a Killer! Hunt a Hunt Killer! A killer we can't play it again. Correct. So maybe we could yeah. give it away to a lucky listener. That's a good idea. That leaves us a review. Mm-hmm. We can just take their names. You can do your little spinny thing <laughs> that you, you do love on your that computer. I love thing. that thing. That's how I'm going to pick what I'm cooking for dinner from now. I'm going to be like, Max, push this push button. Push the spinny what thing. What are we having? Dinny. Dominoes. <laughs> yes. Oh, wait. They're all dominoes? <laughs> that would be me. No. That's fun. Yeah. That's fun. That's a good Leave idea. Leave a review. I like that. We'll put all the names in mm-hmm. and we'll draw one and... Yeah. I'll post stuff like that on social media, so I'll remind you all. So just stay tuned to our Instagram and Facebook. Yeah. And if you're not following, follow us on yeah. those too. Yeah. So, because we always post stupid shit on there. That's fine. Yes, we do. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Anyways, goodbye. Bye.